Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer, this time in the flesh. Hummer, how are you doing, buddy? In the flesh. Well, Coomer, not only is it a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan, it has been a great week to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan, especially at 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 p.m. Pacific Time. We had an announcement, a big announcement. A dancing Bearcat has come across our desk. Who are we talking about? Welcome to the Bearcat family. Tari Eason from Seattle, Washington. Hummer. Tari is a top 70 prospect and And rising. This guy decided to make it official. He is going to be a Cincinnati Bearcat come the 2020-2021 Bearcat season. I'm excited about that. It's huge news for the basketball program. It, it, It now gets us at four in terms of next year players for that freshman class. But I think we also need to start this podcast with the game that was yesterday, which is the game against the, the all Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah, let's, we'll touch on the recruiting because I think there's a lot of meat on that bone and there's a lot that we can go through because there's just some not only phenomenal players in this class I think that, that we're going to be excited about and it's going to really build the foundation for what is going to become the John Brandon era. So I, really, I want to be able to give that, that subject enough attention that it deserves and not just gloss over it. But it is important to get into the game last night. So let's, let's hit it off. What are your thoughts? So the Bearcats lost to the Iowa Hawkeyes last night in Chicago, 77-70. to At one point in the second half, early in that half, they actually went down by as much as 15 and battled back to take the lead 64-62, but weren't able to close the deal late. It was a, um, all in all, all things considered, I was overall pleased with the Bearcats' performance last night. Um, in the first half, I would say through the first 17 minutes of that half, 17 plus, um, the, the performance on the defensive side of the ball in particular, I'm sounding like I'm talking about football, but on the <laughs> defensive end, the Bearcats were flying all over the place. I thought they did a good job overall, keeping good Iowa Hawkeye shooters off the three point line. And offensively, we were getting decent looks. We didn't still, we still don't knock them down at a clip you want, but all in all, I was pleased. Now, the last two-plus minutes of that half were a disaster, and they were a disaster in particular for Jaron Cumberland. Um, yes. He, he went on a run, I think, where it was a quick three-point shot, really bad miss. Iowa goes down the court, buries a three-pointer. We come back down. Jaron Cumberland turnover. Iowa comes back down the court, buries another three-pointer. Jaron comes back down, doesn't get a foul call, lets it carry over to the defensive end. Where he gets called for a ter- where he gets called for a foul, it's a legitimate foul out of frustration. Gives puts Iowa on the free throw line. A series of just really unfortunate events that allowed Iowa to enter halftime with an eight point lead. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's one of those series of events too that's going to cloud what was otherwise a phenomenal performance from Jaron Cumberland. If you're looking at his stat line, what he threw out there this game, he went six for eleven, three from eight from beyond the arc, and he he basically only missed one free throw. He limited his turnovers for the most part, but he played 36 minutes, 18 points. I mean, what that's kind of the stat line you're looking from a Jaron Cumberland. Unfortunately, those last two-plus minutes were just so disastrous that it's really going to overlook what he really did because I think we said this 
earlier this week after the Tennessee game where he didn't look as hot by the dip. This is what we actually do expect to see from Jaron Cumberland is games like this. It's just he we need to figure out a way where those two minutes don't happen because you can see he was getting frustrated and he just let it compound. Uh, but otherwise, I think he had a solid outing. You know, you said pleased with the game itself, but the results necessarily weren't what we were hoping for. Iowa just knocked down some shots at the end of the game too. Let's 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 not overlook how good some of those shots that they made were. Oh, they've got they've got shooters galore on that team. They made a, some great plays down the stretch, no doubt. They they certainly missed. Um, you know, I'll let you give a chance to look this up, but they lost their starting point guard earlier in the week to a season-ending injury. And so going into it, you they were going to start a freshman point guard, and that was very evident early in the game. He had multiple turnovers, some bad some carelessness with the ball, some bad fouls. Um, I did want to backtrack real quick. You're doing a good job not letting Jaron Cumberland's performance get lost in that, that brief bad stretch because it's not even necessarily the stat line itself. I love seeing 18 points, but the way in which he was playing, he didn't look physically compromised. I would say it's the best he's looked physically in quite some time, and he was getting to the hoop. He had a floater go in. He was able to get a couple layups. He was drawing fouls. And the turnovers were cut down as well. We didn't see control issues. Um, I think he finished with two turnovers, some really good passes overall. But, yeah, I think the overall his focus, and it, it'd be nice. Jaron just needs to do a better job, I would say, not letting non-calls or unfortunate breaks. Uh, don't let those affect how you're playing on the defensive side. Don't let them affect your overall mentality toward the game because when he's dialed in, it's clear he's getting back to form. 100%. The only thing I wouldn't let let uh, bother you too much, folks out there, is his body language. Jaron Cumberland has had that his entire career. That is not that is something that has not changed. He has always had the body language. So that many he has body out language there. doctors out there. <laughs> so many body language doctors. Last year, when he was uh, AAC Player of the Year, every single game he had that that same kind of I would call it slumped over posture, if you would. It's not It's not an issue. His body language is not the issue here. Guys, I think we're getting to see Jaron Cumberland starting to return to form. We're going to be entering conference play. I, they're going to have a nice week off from practice. The guys are going to be able to go home. They're going to see their families. They're going to come back locked and loaded, and I think you're going to see this Jaron Cumberland that we saw this game, hopefully without those two minutes of, of mental lapses. Yeah, he's he seems to actually understand now how to play within the offense. There's this great just balance of being willing to attack but also being able to push and move the ball effectively. He throws the crispest and most accurate passes on the team. He throws cross-court passes better than anybody on the team. And so it's really just a matter of time, and we're going to see it in conference play. I'm very confident in that. We're going to see a Jaron Cumberland thriving in this offense moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he had three assists last night. That was second on the team uh, to Chris McNeil's four. And let's also note Chris McNeil had a lot of minutes to be able to get those four. But... I think that's going to honestly increase more as well because, once again, those two turnovers that he had, one of them was off of a very frustrated pass into the into the, the top of the top of the key, where that ball was just not being caught because he was frustrated and threw a, a rocket. You know, he has the ability to, to create more for others than almost anybody on this team because when he drives into the lane, teams have to recognize his ability to score. They have to bring in a defender out to get him. It's going to leave people open on the three-point line or vice versa. He's kicking it into Scott on the top of the key who's then able to, to bounce it back out to another player as players collapse on Scott. So I'm, this was a very, in my mind, a very good step for Jaron Cumberland. I'm excited to see it. But, you know, we did just I did just mention something about Chris McNeil. 
What are your thoughts on? I th- I think he played well for the majority of the time he was in. What's your take? What I liked about Chris McNeil's performance. Let's start with the good because I, there was much more good in this game from Chris McNeil than in recent games. So I would say this was Chris McNeil's best performance since the Thomas More exhibition. Hundred percent. And that's tough, right? We're, this is our 11th game of the year, and we're, we're actually finally seeing a, a performance from Chris McNeil where he's, he's actually helping the team. He's making plays that are contributing to our success. And offensively, still shot terribly from the field. Overall, he just can't make a jump shot right now. He was able to knock down one three-pointer on seven shots. But I think the key is, in the past few games, we've talked about it, Chris McNeil has no confidence where he's out there, the ball swings to him, he's wide open, and he doesn't let it fly. In my opinion, in the, in the minutes when Chris McNeil's on the court, he has to operate and still and play within that offense. And so if the ball rotates to him and he's in the corner and he's open, the three-pointer has to go up. You're not a good shooter, but it still has to go up for the offensive rhythm to actually work and for the offense to operate at a high level. Your hope is that he makes them. But the way you control his, his, his negative impact on the offensive end is by not playing him a heavy usage of minutes. Now, the reason his minutes were up this game, he played a total of 21 minutes, is that in the second half, John Brandon leaned on Chris McNeil to get the Bearcats back in the game. That second half, we saw the lead for Iowa extend to, I think, 15 points. And one of the big reasons we got back in the game is we basically started forcing Iowa into turnovers, possession after possession after possession, and Chris McNeil himself got five steals, three or four, I think three of which came on just pure picking someone's pocket at the top of the key and racing off for a fast break layup on the other end. Seriously impressive. Yep. I mean, we, we forced Iowa into 24 turnovers total in that game. Chris McNeil had five steals in that game. Uh, incredible performance. I think one of the biggest things that was towards the end of that game, it, he, he brought an energy for the first you know, I want to say eight minutes of that second half that he was in, but then he started to lose a little bit of energy, maybe get a little bit gassed. And I think Brandon kind of held on to that, the magic that was happening a little too long where maybe he should have just taken his chips off the table and, and gone home. And maybe around that four-minute uh, media timeout, we should have gone back to our offensive team now that we're back in the game. We need to score points because that's basically what ended up happening is Iowa just came down and just lights out, hit some, hit two three-pointers, in the, in, the, in the closing minutes of the game, really just started to pull away, just knocking down shots, and we weren't. Mm-hmm. In that, that, those two minutes until we got Jaron back in the or Jaron Javen back into the game, you know, those were the two minutes that basically lost the game, in my opinion, where that was the two minutes when they started just popping up threes. It's such a tough call, right? I, yeah. I, I agree with you. At the under four timeout is when I would have pulled McNeil from the game, brought back in someone like Javen Cumberland for an offensive option. I do, I want to put myself, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of John Brandon, it's such a difficult call because Javen Cumberland was so overmatched in the game up until that point. In the first half, he couldn't defend anybody. He was fouling. He wasn't able to get open. And so if if Javen Cumberland's not getting off shots, it's difficult to justify his presence on the court as much because he can't actually defend anyone. But I agree with you where in those closing moments, the money moments of the game, the game's on the line. We finally have tied the game. We've actually taken a two-point lead. It's more important at that point that we actually are able to get some buckets because Iowa is such a well-oiled machine on the offensive end, and the turnovers had calmed down, calmed down at that point. 
you're, they're going to produce good looks. And so really it became a matter of, is Iowa hitting their shot or are they not hitting their shot? Because they're breaking the defense down. And that's probably a call. I, I, I wonder in hindsight if Brandon was you know on truth serum, are, are you pulling Chris McNeil from the game earlier than you did? I think, I think the answer is yes. I think so too. The other one that, that surprised me a little bit, but you know, it's funny when you get to look at the box score and you get to really analyze people's play and, and you think back on it. Okay, well, originally when we had Mamadou in the game, I was kind of like, what is he doing in there so long? Because he had an extended run. I want to say all eight of his minutes came at the exact same time, all in one chunk in that mm-hmm. second half. And he did bring a defensive energy. He did take some some shots that looked a little f- funkier for what should have been probably my high percentage shot turned out to be a very low percentage shot because of the way he released it. Uh, and I was thinking, well, we need to get Trey Scott back into the game. Well, Trey Scott really wasn't having that great of a game, and so maybe that's why we're, we're we saw the minutes decreases because maybe Scott's energy wasn't there. Maybe he was drained still from having played 38 minutes. Yeah, John Brandon in the in, in the post game comments said that what he really appreciated out of Mamadou Diara is that when he came in, he was extremely high energy. And what John Brandon was most disappointed out of that first half was that the team's overall effort level just wasn't there. I don't, from my perspective, not being in Iowa, not being at, or not being in Chicago, uh, not being at the game, I didn't notice it as much. But from his coaching perspective, he wasn't getting the energy he needed from key players. That that could include Trey Scott as well. Mamadou had one of his best stretches as a Bearcat, and it primarily was on the defensive end. He wasn't getting lost, and his length and quickness and athleticism were actually disrupting people. Like I finally saw his athleticism pop on the defensive side. Um, it seems like, you know, with Chris Vogt, with Jay Sorolla, they're not as fleet of foot as Mamadou Diara is. And it seemed like that characteristic, athleticism, is what gave Iowa more problems than the size and interior paint presence that you get with a Vote or a Sorolla. Yeah, and, and while you're mentioning, uh, not to really get too far off the, the Mamadou performance, because I thought it was fantastic, but with with Chris Vote, one of the things that I'm seeing from Chris Vote is he when he's grabbing a rebound, he is bringing the ball way too far down. He needs to catch the ball high and keep it high to be able to put that up quick. He's giving defenders time to get on top of him and make plays on the ball. And I saw a couple, uh, more than a couple opportunities in this particular game where Chris Vote went to go bring the ball down, almost as if he was about to dribble it after he caught the rebound underneath the hoop when he should have just been up there top and just basically kind of tipping it in. With his height and size, I think that's something that hopefully they're working on, and I would like to see him really work on where he's catching that ball and not bring it down to the court as much on those under-the-hoop under rebounds. I thought Vote had a, had a rough game for his standard. He, he struggled rebounding the ball last night. There was a few opportunities to secure a board over Garza, in which he didn't. In the first half in particular, the Bearcats, it felt like every time – Every time we got a stop and we and we we caused a missed shot, Iowa was grabbing an offensive rebound, which is always the most opportune time then to kick it back out to a shooter who's more than likely going to be open. And I felt like that happened three times in that first half where offensive rebound kicked out, Iowa bears another buries another three pointer, and vote is vote was one of the culprits. He was someone who just wasn't strong enough securing rebounds. And the offensive end, you're making. My biggest gripe with Chris Vote right now is that it is too slow. It's too deliberate. He's not quick with his moves. And that's something they are, I have to think they're working on it. And he could get quicker. And he's clearly improved leaps and bounds over what he was doing at Northern Kentucky the last two years. So I expect it'll keep getting better. 
But if there was, if there, if you are picking apart Chris Vogt's game at this point, his weakness is bringing the ball too low and just being too slow and deliberate with the move. Well, look, Chris Vogt right now is average uh, for I don't know is I don't know the the season statistic what the number is, but his shooting percentage is top 10 in the country and it should be because the only shots he takes are within three feet of the rim and I'm okay with that I'm not saying I want to see Chris Vogt going out there and and taking jump shots I love seeing Chris Vogt taking those high percentage shots underneath the hoop when you're going three for six and shooting 50 percent underneath the hoop that's that is kind of an issue because the shots that you missed were the ones that you brought down and you allowed the defense to collapse on you and get time to to make make you miss the shot you know, when you're taking those shots underneath the hoop, you should be shooting honestly 75, 80%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough to shoot that high, but we did miss a lot of layups in the first half. Trey yeah. Scott, Chris Vogt, there, there were just layups galore being blown. I think there were some missed calls. This podcast doesn't go deep on officiating in the NCAA because NCAA officiating, as we all know, is atrocious. And it's not just for the Cats. It's every game. You watch any college basketball game out there, and the refs are... Look, these aren't NBA refs. They may make their living doing this, but they're you're also playing with and not to I'm not trying to say that, you know, they're not talented or talent, but the level of talent between the NBA versus the NCAA and what the players are able to accomplish with their bodies is such a different level mm-hmm. of control. So you're gonna see more physicality in the in the on the college game than maybe what you're gonna see in the NBA level just because of that talent disparity and what you have to do in order to to play defense in the win. You know, there's just such a big difference. When you're getting the NBA, almost everybody is 6'5", 6'8", 7'0". Where in college, you're getting guys who are 5'8", 5'10", 5'11", playing with guys who are also 6'8", 7'0". You've got to use your talents in different ways to secure victories. So you're going to probably get a little more physical. I understand that. There were, were there some bad calls? Absolutely. But it's nothing that – it's every game. Every game you're going to see this, and every game you're going to harp on it. Or you can just look at the way they're playing the game and move on with it and say, look, this is where we had opportunities to win this game. This is where we had opportunities to lose this game. And there were plenty of them this, in, in this particular matchup where we could have won this game. I think the score being 77-70 to 70 does not really show how close the game was in those final minutes. It makes it look like it was a, a bigger blowout than what it was. This game was extremely close. Extremely yeah. close. They hit two big threes in the closing in the closing minutes of the game that they kind of pull away from us. And at that point, when there's under a minute left, it's the foul game. They made some foul shots. I mean, it is what it is. Chris Vote. I just want to close on a positive. I we're not we're certainly not disappointed in Chris Vote overall. Oh no, he's gone he's been fantastic. He he was a thirty eight percent free throw shooter last year. He's shooting sixty two, almost sixty three percent this year. He's finishing 67% of his field goals. He's been exceptional for the Bearcats, but he is, for someone who's 7'1", 260, he's grabbing 6.8 rebounds per game. That's just an area of opportunity for Chris Vote. Be a better, more physical presence on the, the defensive glass in particular. Yeah, and if, if we want to go into you know a key takeaway from this game and, and, and the loss that the Bearcats took against Iowa – Look at go look at the point totals from the last all all the games in the past and notice that almost everybody is getting close to that ten points, that eleven points, twelve point mark. In this particular game, only three players scored in double figures. We had uh, what I would consider poor performances from Trey Scott and Keith Williams. Keith Williams, that was his toughest performance of the year and T- toughest performance. And when he's not playing, look, we said it before, he's the MVP of non conference. We he, well, we knew he wouldn't keep making three-pointers at a 50% clip. Yeah. That wasn't going to keep happening. Keith Williams is still not a great shooter, 
But he ended up going today uh, against Iowa. He went two of 13 from the field. He didn't make a three-pointer. Most of those were, were open. And he only took three of them. Just a rough game. It's a rough game. And when look, when you're MVP, and like I said, I know we're I know Jaren Jaren is the best player on his team at highest upside. Highest upside, but Keith Williams for this season. For this season so far has been the MVP. When your MVP is not performing, you're gonna lose games. And it was it wasn't just him, it was our basically our starting lineup, which is where I do feel that Brandon said, Well, you know what, if my starting guys aren't gonna get it, we're gonna bring some guys off the bench, we're gonna switch up the energy here. You know, let's see what Mama Do can do from the defensive stand, and let's see what Chris McNeil can do. Maybe get some confidence back. But no, I mean, overall, you got to see Chris McNeil have a good game. Finally, they're college players. The amount of variance you're going to see game to game is higher than than what you'd like. Unfortunately, it's just the reality of 18 to 22, 23 year old kids, uh, 20, 18 to 23 year old young men, uh, but. Yeah, I think uh, it's just a disappointing game for Keith, a disappointing game for Trey. who The guy who remains a consistent, low-variance player is Micah Adams-Woods. God, he's a rock. No turnovers, still knocked down three of five shots, two three-pointers, ten points overall. He did struggle with foul trouble in this game, but his upside is just so freaking high. he's such a rock. (laughs) Uh, The one person that we – I think we – I don't want to give him too much shout out because he only played two minutes, but Zach Harvey, he came in and just looked rough, rough. He's a little rough on the defensive end. He, I don't know if it, he was a little slow or if he was getting too aggressive because he, you know, I know Brandon's thing is as a freshman to get minutes, you got to play defense. So he got, he came in there was very aggressive at first, but he was getting beat down the court, which caused him to make silly fouls. Well, he was on the, the final offensive possession of the half for Iowa. He was the guy defending the ball handler got too aggressive, put two hands on the dribbler, and they called a foul, and you're giving free points to Iowa at that point. And you could see the look on his face in the, in the game where he's just frustrated. He's not, he's not getting it yet. The, the speed of the game is, is faster than what he's able to actually play at at this point. But look, folks, if you're selling your Zach Harvey stock, Cincy Slagan's buying. I'm a believer in Zach Harvey long-term. Look, he's a freshman. Guys don't bl- Not a lot of guys blossom in their freshman year. When, when you're being recruited, in, in my terms or our terms, a four-year player, you know, th- these aren't guys that are recruited with NBA potential right out the gate. Zach Harvey is going to grow. He's going to mature. Look, Kenya Martin didn't have his breakout season until he was a junior. <laughs> a lot of people don't remember that Kenya Martin as a freshman. You probably don't remember Kenya Martin as a freshman. <laughs> right. Look, some freshmen are going to be Micah Adams-Woods, and they're going to pop right from the jump. I love it. I'm happy when that happens, but it doesn't happen for all freshmen, and I'm willing to wait. Sean Kilpatrick did not play his freshman season because he redshirted. Be patient. Stay the course. Zach Harvey's going to be fine because there are, when you look at the high school tape, and even when you watched, this sounds silly. I know this sounds silly, but in that Bearcat Madness event, you can just see the feel and level of athleticism that he has once he's able to channel that effectively in a game, he's going to be excellent for the Bearcats. So I'm willing to be patient. It's pretty clear at this point, though, he's not going to be a key contributor for this season. Just take that stock. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Kimmer, I love it. We're talking about the freshman. We're talking about Mike Adams-Woods. We're talking about Zach Harvey. You know, we mentioned this earlier with the news with Tara Eason. Let's do it. I'm excited about this. You know, I think we were being a little critical of John Brandon in, in the terms of player personnel this game in the last few games, but I really want to get into where uh, Coach John Brandon is excelling. 
I want to get to the point where he is just surprising me. And I don't know if he's surprising you, but at every single turn when it comes to recruiting, he did a great job putting together this 19 class at the last minute. But this 2020 class is shaping up to what I think is going to be something incredibly special. Absolutely. And we did mention our, our concern about the lineups. John Brandon still coached a good game. He, he forced Iowa into 20-plus turnovers. I thought the strategy and how he played them was exceptional. So I want to make sure I, we're noting John Brandon's coaching strategy overall in that game was really good, and I have no worries about John Brandon's ability to, to manage his team. Sometimes there's just things lineup-wise you disagree with. But, Hummer, that 2020 class. Hey, if you're on John Brandon, if we're, if we're talking stock again, look, if you're selling John Brandon stock, you know, you send it all over to me. I'm going to buy every last share. I don't care what price you want to sell it to me at. I will buy, buy, buy. <laughs> if, you're selling, if you're selling John Brandon stock, you've got a bad advisor because John Brandon just went out to Seattle, Washington and closed a four-star, high-level, high-upside recruit in Tari Peso, that's what his mama calls him, Eason. High NBA upside. I want to I make that known that this is a prospect that when you're getting outside of recruiting circles, that he has NBA talk about him. He's not, I'm not saying one and done NBA talk, but overall long-term NBA prospect, this guy is, is a guy that they're thinking is going to get looked at eventually for the league. So when he's graduating, either junior graduating <laughs> we get the junior here he, he might be looking to have maybe be in a position to leave to leave for the nba that that could be a realistic possibility with with what they're saying about this kid but at the end of four years he has a legit shot of of getting drafted and playing in the nba hummer bearcat fans are used to having great power forwards in our programs yes after after seeing tari eason commit last night i went back and started thinking yeah we haven't had a we don't have a, a dominant power forward presence and the last one we have was Gary Clark. So let's just read through over the years, dating back to early Bob Huggins years, the great power forwards uh, of Bearcat history. We've got Corey Blunt. Then we rolled into Danny Fortson, just one of the a, a freaking stud offensively and rebounding. If not one of the arguably one of the best power forwards in Bearcat history, arguably, because you know there's oh, someone, no, he's, there's he's someone on there. this list. <laughs> there's someone else on this list. <laughs> in my, yeah, I would call him the second best, but he's definitely probably the most talented power forward in Bearcat history. There's also... Personally, my favorite Bearcat of all time. Danny Fortson? I love Danny Fortson. I had I his jersey it. growing up. I have his, I have a picture that uh, that we got taken of him at standing at half court, just looking mean, mean mugging the crowd. The guy dropped the 40 and 15 on Xavier. I mean, he was unstoppable oh. in the post. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite Bearcats of all time. So Fortson rolls into Kenyon Martin. We don't need to do any explanation here. Was it Kenyon Martin or Jason Maxiel first? Kenyon Martin. Kenyon Martin. Yeah, Kenyon Martin, late 90s. Kmart. Uh, Final season in, in 2000, but Kenyon Martin, in my opinion, was the, the, the key cog in what was the greatest Bearcat team of the modern era. Without him getting hurt, we all know that that, that national championship belonged to Cincinnati. Um, you know, if we could put an imaginary banner on the wall, it's up there. <laughs> right. So Kenyon Martin then rolls into Jason Maxiel. Jason Maxiel came in as a ready-made freshman. He was contributing, contributing instantly. Good rebounder, had that over-the-shoulder turnaround jump shot right from the get-go, and he, he made his money on that shot for four years with the Bearcats. And then the, the common theme from Kenyon to Jason is that both were exceptional defensive presence uh, on the defensive side. They were blocking shots, altering shots, 
and just exuded that Bearcat toughness that you're used to. And that's a theme through all these guys. Fortson, Martin, Maxiel. Maxiel rolls into Eric Hicks. These guys are animals. And let's well, let's also notice too, though, when when you're you're talking about the defensive presence, what they bring to the game, they were all recruited by the same guy looking for that type of player. And it's obviously, I don't want to say it's obvious, but when we get into well, at least one of these next players coming up that we've already mentioned, basically, but he was recruited by a guy who was basically an understudy of Bob Huggins. So you're talking Jason Maxiel. You're getting into Eric Hicks, who's on this list as well. You know. I'm going to throw an honorable mention out there. I don't really want to say he's 100% on this list, but Yancey Gates was a okay power forward for us. He did do great things for the team, but he he just wasn't, I think, at the same level as these other guys where you take a Gary Clark now. He doesn't, Gary, he doesn't make my list of uh, he doesn't Bearcat So I put him on an asterisk with, a, with an honorable mention, but all of these players, except for Eric Hicks as well here, you know, I don't want to put the action because he just brought some fire to the team, and he's a legend. Dude, he's like 6'5". But he's completely undersized for the position, but still managed to be one of the greatest shot blockers in UC history. Exactly. And developed into, I mean, he was knocking down three-point shots in his senior year. Eric Hicks is awesome. He's and, awesome. And is, is one of the great Bearcat power forwards of our history. Well, the only reason I wanted to preface it with that is all the other guys had, and one of them is in the process of having, great NBA careers. They weren't just right. one year in the league, two years in the league, three years in the league, then out. These guys had 10, you know, decade of decades in the league, you know, or decades, at least a decade in the league. Jason Maxiel played as a journeyman in the, in the league forever. Uh, we thought he was still, I think he was still playing as late as like 2014 and some somewhere. Oh, Maxiel made a great career for himself. And that's without a game that it, his game didn't translate well to the modern era of basketball, but he was on the Detroit Pistons team uh, that you know famously got defeated by LeBron, where he scored thirty of the last thirty-one points. You know, Jason Maxiel was playing key minutes down the stretch for those Detroit Pistons, and so yeah. then the the last Bearcat great power forward, Gary, the problem, Clark, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> He's uh, yeah, I mean he he epitomized pretty much everything here. In, extremely just humble, low key, not a lot of. Uh, not a lot of talking on the court. He let his work ethic. He let his work ethic talk. His work ethic spoke for for himself. And the crazy part about his work ethic is, look at what he's doing in the NBA and completely transforming his game to fit the NBA. Where what was what was the stat he shot like? He's five shooting. three pointers in in, in in his Bearcat career. I know I don't know the stat, but I know it was a low number. Where all of a sudden that's the only thing he shoots at Houston. Yeah, I went back and ran some numbers <laughs> on Gary Clark, and if you looked at you know during his time with the Bearcats, his junior and senior year, he started finally shooting some three pointers. And now with an ex- in the NBA, with an extended three-point line up out to 23 feet, uh, or 22-plus, this guy is now shooting roughly 90% of his shots from three-point land, remaining a good defender, and he's, he's carving out a nice he's, role for he's himself making on the 30, And he's making 30% of them. Yeah, close to it. Close to it. And, um, yeah, I couldn't speak highly enough of Gary Clark. He, he's probably the most impactful Bearcat of the Mick Cronin era. When, when Russell, when your boy... Russ, Russell Westbrook's out there giving Gary Gary Clark high praise. I think that's, I think that's a a good testament to Gary's Gary's work ethic and and what he can, what he's bringing to the Houston Rockets. Right. So we got sidetracked, but essentially what that list is supposed <laughs> to capture is we love power forwards in this program, and what we're getting with Tari Eason is a power forward with athleticism, with length, with the ability to knock down an outside shot. If you look at the highlights on YouTube. He's clearly going to be someone who can probably block shots as well. This is the this is an opportunity for John Brandon to have his first great power forward 
uh, with the Cincinnati Bearcats. Yeah, and then go through the rest of the class. You had you have the Madsen twins who just rocked their last game. What was it? One one of them uh, was it Mason? Well, Gabe Gabe has scored forty plus points in his last two games. Last two games, and but then his brother. It's also scored like thirty points in one. Of Mason those games. had a thirty point plus <laughs> performance as well. The twins are uh, the twins are real, and Gabe in, Gabe in particular is going to be a scorer, a bucket getter, a shooter. And he's if you envision the type of player you you think John Brandon wants to get in this system, because I think he's doing he's being real right now. You know, in that post game in his post game, he just openly acknowledged we're not a very good offensive team. We're still, in my opinion, playing a better offensive style of basketball than we did in past years. Yeah, I we scored more than 60 points in almost every game we play. Right. The <laughs> offense is actually already improving, but in his mind, this is just not an efficient offense yet. And it's not. But he's starting to recruit players, Tari Eason, Gabe Madsen, and we haven't mentioned him, Mikey Saunders Jr. John Brandon is now getting the type of player, or he's setting up the type of player for classes to come that are going to thrive in the style of basketball that he wants to play. And so Tari Eason is the cherry on top for this class. I, I hope this is not hyperbole. I don't think it's hyperbole. If you look top to bottom, player one through four, Tari Eason, we're not going in that order. We're going with who committed first. Mike Saunders Jr. And real quick note on Mike Saunders Jr. This guy's Draymond Green out here recruiting for John Brandon. He's sending out tweets. Yeah, I was talking to Tari all weekend about the Bearcats, closing the deal. Mike Saunders Jr. is already the MVP of the 2019-2020 season, and he hasn't played a minute for the Bearcats. So Mike Saunders Jr., Gabe Madsen, Mason Madsen, and now Tari Eason. This is one of the best Bearcat recruiting classes that we've had in quite some time. Especially because let's not, let's not, uh, I know you called him the MVP for his recruiting, but Mike Saunders too. I mean, he might only be 5'11", I think is what his stat line says, but the guy's going to play like he's 6'5", based off of his, of his length that he has. This guy is... That guy's gonna be he's the real deal too. Hummer. And he was a highly recruited he was a highly rated recruit as well. We haven't had him on the podcast, but we've talked to an actual NBA scout who caught Mike Saunders Jr. caught the eye of the scout. His talent his speed is so exceptional that he caught an NBA scout's attention while he was watching Cole Anthony film. And we've seen what Cole Anthony has done in North Carolina. And now Mama Saunders is posting, you know, video online of Mike Saunders Jr. finishing well above the rim. And like you said, he's under six feet tall. I'm super excited about Saunders. I think John Brandon bought low on that. And you've got a player who's going to outperform what his ranking is. So this, this recruiting class, John Brandon's first full recruiting class for the Bearcats, it's a really impressive performance by Brandon. Yeah, God, I've got to give it up to John Brandon. <laughs> Bravo. Well done. Uh, now we're just looking to see what we cap off here, maybe with a couple... Or one grad grad transfer, I think, is what what maybe round out this class. Well, we've got. I think there's a few scholarships left. Uh, I think it depends. We got the Trevor Moore spot. That was a bonus spot. Um, but we're, I I expect that we're probably going to see one or two grad transfers. Maybe there's a surprise. Maybe there's another freshman in there. But given the given this the because you got to think you got to save you got to save some scholarships too for future classes because you know who are we losing next year? We're losing Cumberland. We're losing. Uh, we're losing Cum- both Cumberlands. We're losing Sorolla. Uh, we're losing. Are we losing Trey Scott? Trey Scott. So that's four. And, and look, basically, we're we're going to be replacing Trey Scott Chris with, McNeil. with Tari, Chris McNeil's with Tari Eason. As well. We got 
Uh, Mike Saunders Jr. is going to be coming in and taking over what would be McNeil's role, I would assume, as point guard. And then you're going to have the Madsen twins in there just wrecking, wrecking damage from wherever. Because, look, this team isn't going to be defined by set positions. It's going to be looking more like an NBA. So every single player should be looking almost more like a power forward as opposed to a traditional center or, or whatever you want to call and define these roles. So I think a lot of these players are just going to be butter. They're going to fit in everywhere. Right. And it's not normal for us to be as excited as we are after a, lo- a tough loss to <laughs> Iowa, a game that was super winnable. Honestly, you know, it's, it's actually kind of frustrating. You, you liked how we performed. You liked the performance overall. We didn't close it. But the Bearcat, a 7-5 and five Bearcats team still has me extremely excited. I still see us making the tournament this season because the style of play is starting to take hold. The team looks less disjointed offensively, and defensively we're start, starting to see the upside. And I think, Brandon, it comes down to getting these guys to execute for 40 minutes. Look, if we keep the losses under 13, 12, 13 losses, this team can be – granted, look, we may not be that this three or four seed maybe that we said at the beginning of the year. We're maybe not. not that 10 seed. We may be a bubble team, guys. That's oh, Look, if that's the case – we gotta we gotta build the resume. Come here in, in conference play. We gotta put some big wins up against some of these tougher teams. UConn coming in, uh, home game against UConn. You gotta take one. Oh, we gotta perform at a really high level. You in gotta split. Play. You gotta split your tough games with UConn. Or t- and then when you go to Memphis, you maybe gotta take one or both from Memphis. There's gonna be games that we're just gonna a team that we're gonna have to sweep in order to to build our resume because we didn't necessarily build the resume strong enough here in the non-conference schedule, but we have the opportunity to do it in in conference play. I believe we can. I believe our home court advantage brings a lot more than some of the other teams that we're going to be playing. And The AAC schedule is going to be fun because I don't know if there's a great team in there, especially as James Wiseman has left Memphis. We didn't mention it, but James Wiseman is officially officially gone. He's taking his talents to the professional leagues. Thanks, NCAA. Yeah, it would have been fun to see him. I got to be honest. I, I kind of was excited to see James Wiseman come to town. Um, but even still, you've got Memphis is still going to be very good. They're a very talented team. Temple looks solid. Wichita State is probably the, the cream of the crop right now based on how they pref- performed in their non-conference. Um, UConn solid. UConn is still Memphis solid. Memphis is still solid. Houston. Houston's Houston's probably right behind Wichita State with how they've performed. Right. And so with all these teams and, and with putting Cincinnati in there too, we're all kind of at the same level. Nobody's... We got like six teams that can win this conference. I agree. Yeah. This is, this is fun. And not only that, they're quality teams. So we're going to be playing team. We're going to have, you know, coming up here, games against six quality opponents more than once. Granted, there are some, don't get me wrong, the bottom of the barrel of the ACC, AAC is still the bottom of the barrel, but from the middle up on this Shout conference. Shout out to you, East Carolina. Yeah, we're talking about you. But from the middle on, this conference is solid. So we have plenty of time to build our resume, and it's going to be fun. I agree. Um, cheers to John Brandon for, for implementing a style of play that is fun to watch, and for... I think the biggest concern about John Brandon is can he recruit? Well, those concerns are put to rest, my friend. John Brandon is the real deal. What on did, the recruiting can trail. you quote? Do you have a quote? Don't you? You have a, a quote from was it Mason? So I don't have the direct quote, Hummer, but there was a tweet sent by Mason Madsen that basically John Brandon is the real deal on the recruiting trail. And all what it's what spoke to me was he gets in the room and he's able to to really communicate to players, relate to players, and explain to them why coming to Cincinnati is a great opportunity for them and that they're going to leave a better basketball player, a better person, and that this is a place you can come to really grow as a human being. Uh, it, it, it bodes well for our prospects long-term. Yep. 
look, we're, uh, John Brandon's creating advocates of his of his of his system, and you can't say enough. But Coomer, it's that time. Last week, it was my turn. This time, it is your turn to dedicate this podcast to a former UC basketball legend. I'm going with a real legend today, Hummer, because in the, in the spirit of getting Tari Eason and Tari Eason choosing to take his talents to Clifton, we're going to go ahead and dedicate this podcast to the last great Bearcat power forward. Gary Clark, this podcast is for you, sir. We appreciate the legacy that you carried on with your talents during your four amazing years with the Cincinnati Bearcats. And Tari, you've got big shoes to fill, sir, but you seem more than up to the task. And we're excited to welcome you to the University of Cincinnati. Houston, we have a problem. Gary Clark, cheers.